0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts.
1: Welcome back or welcome for the first time to you unfortunate few that have never gotten a chance to hear Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast before this episode. Um, as you can hear, I sometimes can't speak, but it doesn't stop me from doing the show. That's what makes this podcast different. A lot of wrestling podcasts, they're, they're people. They don't really like wrestling anymore. They take it way too seriously, so they complain about it, and they're very well-spoken. Here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, you hear the opinion of what's going on in the world of pro wrestling from a fan who still enjoys Pro wrestling. That's yours truly, Sam Roberts. You hear great interviews, the likes of which you'll never hear anywhere else because they're from a different perspective. It's not a wrestler interviewing another wrestler, and it's not a, a fan who thinks he's smarter than the business interviewing a wrestler. It's, it's, it's a guy who watches a lot of wrestling, who appreciates everything that these dudes do, uh, and, and who gets to talk to him. That's me. And third, and probably most important, it's a guy who doesn't feel the need. To speak properly every single time out. For every word to be perfect. It doesn't need to be. As long as at the end of the show, you feel good. That's all that counts, isn't it? You don't need to recite every word. Nobody's writing a transcript of everything that goes down. Well, what a series of weeks it's been. And I have a feeling, for me who's a wrestling fan who, who's lucky enough to work in media, Royal Rumble to WrestleMania season inevitably becomes a very busy season because WWE just has so much going on. There's so much wrestling to talk about. There's so many wrestlers to talk to. There's just so much going on in the world of sports entertainment that it always affects my life in a, in a major way, in a very, very positive way. And I'm really happy that for the first time, I'll be able to chronicle that with you every week, Here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I mean, the last two weeks alone of podcasts have been incredible. Uh, The Roman Reigns podcast that went up two weeks ago. Still, people talking about it. Still, I I feel like I did Roman no favors by inviting him on this show. Um, I haven't gotten to speak to him since that podcast came out. But I would love to hear what he thought of all the feedback that he definitely read after that show. And then last week... To have Corey Graves on the show, one of the first long-form interviews that Corey has done since working with the company, uh, and what a great interview it was, getting some insight in the world of NXT, which is arguably the coolest wrestling TV program out in the world right now. You could argue it, but thats I would. I would argue that it is the coolest wrestling show on television at the moment, so it's been it's been a great time. I didn't get to talk a lot about a lot last week, just because I was, I spent so much time with Corey Graves that uh, the state of wrestling was shortened. However, uh, this week I'll talk a little more. I'll, I'll 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 leave some room at the table to talk not only about the Triple H podcast that he did with Stone Cold Steve Austin on the WWE Network, but also. Some of the uh, uh, way things are working out as we head towards Fastlane and inevitably WrestleMania. But first, and by the way, I'll probably drop some hints too. I have a major, major guest. Not that this week's guest is not a major, major guest. But I have a major, major guest scheduled for next week as well that I think you'll all enjoy. This week, I think you'll all enjoy as well. However, not everybody may be familiar with my guest. Uh, Adam Cole, I believe within one year of this podcast will have a contract with WWE. I think Adam Cole and maybe the Young Bucks are arguably the last two puzzle pieces left for WWE to acquire to really complete that developmental system that is leading to the future of sports entertainment and WWE, I believe... Adam Cole will undoubtedly be a WWE superstar. I think he is going to make a huge impact in NXT within a year. Uh, And after that, become a major player. I mean, when you look at who is dominating NXT right now, it's the guys that have been wrestling all over the world for the last, you know, five to 10 years and are now getting a shot. At entering into the grandest stage of them all, to use a cliche. And they're doing spectacularly, spectacularly. That's what I meant about those words, at least on NXT. Um, and I think Adam Cole is one of those guys. Adam Cole, former Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion, a star in pro wrestling, gorilla. Um, and one of the first guys that I think uh, considered himself a true Ring of Honor superstar. Ring of Honor is kind of become the training ground to NXT, which leads to WWE. Ring of Honor is where CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins and, and, and Cesaro and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, and the list goes on and on. All these guys became stars in Ring of Honor. You go to TNA, you talk about your Samoa Joes, homicides, All these guys became stars in Ring of Honor, which led them to WWE, NXT, TNA. Ring of Honor is, I think, the the proving ground. It's the last step on the American independence. Um, And Adam Cole is a complete standout in Ring of Honor. Uh, Some of the matches that he's had over there, it's hard to argue that he's not the best superstar currently in Ring of Honor. He's out with an injury right now. But you look at what he's done over the last year or two in Ring of Honor and Pro Wrestling Guerrilla and throughout the independents, and you know this guy is a star, and he is unbelievably young. For somebody to not only be this gifted athletically, this charismatic, um, and— as composed as he is he can pull off an interview he can engage people he can be a representation a representative for a company as well as entertain people on the highest level in the ring it's a very rare thing but uh i have a lot of respect <coughs> obviously excuse me for adam cole there's been so much going on with this podcast I got to sit down with Adam Cole at the end of 2014. It was right before Ring of Honor's final battle. It was right before, I believe, his last match before he was injured. Uh, He was going in to a Ring of Honor World Championship match with Jay Briscoe, a fight without honor, and one of the best told stories in Ring of Honor over 2014. Uh, His match with Jay Briscoe was to be the climax of that story. As the weeks have gone on, you know, Jay Briscoe was on a few weeks ago, but there have just been so many people to sneak onto this podcast that I've not gotten a chance to share with you my conversation with Adam Cole, and I thought this week would be the perfect opportunity to do so. So here you are, ladies and gentlemen, ending this, the, the inter- this interview took place at the end of 2014 and right after the interview we'll talk everything that's going on in 2015 I promise you with Wrestlemania around the corner and Fastlane and the Triple H podcast but first here is my conversation with a guy who I think is just the man and this the reason you should listen to this interview is because you will remember this interview and hearing him on this podcast a year from now two years from now three years from now when he is a major superstar I can only hope that he is as familiar with me, once he's a WWE superstar, as he is right now. My guest on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast this week is Adam Cole, baby.
0: And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview.
2: Welcome, Adam Cole. Hello, Samuel. What's the haps? There's a lot happening, man. I'll bet. It's Final Battle Week. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As of the
1: time, of the- So, last time I talked to you. You had you a Ring of Honor World Champion. You had the belt with you. The title, I should say. I did. You were, uh, and you told me you were going to have it. The plan was to keep it forever. That was the plan. You do not have it anymore. Not anymore. As of today. As of this recording, you don't have it. Sure, sure. But four days from now. Right. Maybe by the time this comes out. This will be outdated because you may have it, and then you're going to look silly. I know. I will just have to bury this. This this (laughs) interview will never happen. I know you've got to air it, Sam. Come on. No, of course, of course, I'll air it. This is going to be gold. It's not going to be something I can bury. Platinum. Um, So you have Jay Briscoe final battle, and it's a it's a it's a a battle without honor, fight without honor, fight fight without honor. Yeah. Not even a battle. Like it's just a fight. A fight. Yeah. uh, I can promise you, and, and the match
2: has not happened yet. But it will be the most brutal match that I've ever been involved in. How how much
1: hardcore wrestling have you done? Uh, not too much. Right, because uh, it's not really as in style now as it was, and, and you've also developed your own style. Sure, and and to year. be fair, I've never,
2: um, like, for example, with Jay Briscoe, I've never been in such a heated rivalry with somebody before. That it was necessary. Um, to where now there's literally no other option than fight without honor. It, it has to be. It has to
1: be. You know, it's, it's, it, I, that's what I like about Ring of Honor, I feel like it's even in other, even a cage match isn't really a blow off match anymore. But I feel like things have, have developed and, and, and gone to such an extent that you can have, like, all you're doing, it's a no holes barred match. Sure. But it's such a big deal that this really can act as a blow off match. And, and we can, I would assume, be pretty secure that there's going to be a straight, a finish. Right. Like, right. we'll know. Well, With the winner and the loser. Really.
2: Yeah, the interesting thing is is uh, they're one of two matches that are normally um, planned as being the end-all, be-all for, for two guys or, t- or two tag teams. And that's either Ladder War or Fight Without Honor. Right. Me and Jay Briscoe went through Ladder War. Now we're also going through Fight Without Honor. <laughs> so, I mean, we have kicked the living crap out of each other. How did,
1: how did Ladder War feel, like, the next morning?
2: Uh, yeah, it was for sure the most brutal match that I was ever involved in yeah. uh, until four days from now. And then that'll be that, yeah,
1: now yeah. do you have to what type of how do you prepare yourself for that
2: That's a lot of mental preparation instead of like you know there's not much you can do in the gym to right. get ready to land on a you know steel ladder and extra get extra cardio that, that's not going to help you um, You really have to get in like a kind of a state of mind of literally you're going to war because um Again, unless you've actually been in there and, and done some of this stuff, you don't understand that those chairs are very real. Those ladders are very real. Yeah, and the bumps and the bruises are very real. Um, you know, getting up the next morning was difficult. And uh-huh. you know, I'm I'm 25 years old, so yeah, and it's
1: not nothing's supposed to be difficult at 25. Right, and and I, well, I think it's also that that you guys have have done things in such a way where you can't pull punches in a match like this because you you've the, the the audience is expecting brutality like you're talking about, so they, they have to know that you're feeling this, and the only way to do that, I guess, is to actually feel it.
2: Of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was WrestleMania weekend. Like I said, me and Jay Briscoe cannot stand each other, and being in uh, that environment, we knew things were going to get ugly and nasty, and the fans' expectations of Ladder War are very high. And uh, it was brutal. I, I mean, it, it, even some people were commenting, saying that they were offended by the match. Yeah, I mean, it was that brutal. So, well,
1: yeah. I mean, there are match- There are moves that are done. The last I, I saw the uh, Kevin Steen Generico ladder war match, mm-hmm. and there were moves in that match that people uh, think fans think should be outlawed from pro wrestling sure you know what i mean like, they, like they're the pile drivers on the ladders and stuff that is like there is no sort of getting around how legit dangerous this stuff is right it's, i i, th- I think kind of what
2: happens is guys take such pride in their work and where they're going that they always want to set the bar higher and higher and higher and sometimes you cross that line yeah um but that's kind of
1: the risk that you take is it difficult to be 25 though and have a no tomorrow mentality like i could see if you're like Like, if you know you've only got a couple years left at this thing, you can go out and just be like, fuck it, I'm doing this, like, everything, like, just throw everything at it. But when you're 25, you got to know, if I take care of myself, I've got easy 15, 20 years in me of doing this. Sure. You know, is it hard to kind of juggle that?
2: Yeah, it is, I think, because just now I'm starting to figure out that I do have to think for the long term, whereas before, forever, it was... I'm gonna do this match. I'm gonna make it uh, the best that it possibly can be, regardless of what kind of crazy falls and crazy hits I'm gonna take. I just wanna entertain the people. Um, But at the same time, I do realize that certain scenarios and certain positions call for having really barbaric pro wrestling matches. And when you're in the main event, Mm -hmm. Of a company like Ring of Honor, we know that fight without honor for two guys who have been feuding for such a long time is inevitable. So it's one of those deals. And it's on pay-per-view. It's our second live pay-per-view in New York City in a new building at Terminal 5. Yeah. So, uh, I I mean, actually, of any fans to
1: witness a fight without honor, I think the New York City fans are the perfect ones. I would think so, too. And especially, I mean, pay-per-view is a... A really big deal nowadays, especially. Huge. Like, uh, indie organizations just don't get on pay-per-view anymore. There was a time when it was a little more common. But now, it's not internet pay-per-view. It's no, cable pay-per-view. Legitimate pay-per-view. It's pay-per-view, yeah. pay-per-view, pay-per-view. The last pay-per-view was successful? Very successful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's Go so on. I, I,
2: yeah, I was just going to say, um, I can't tell you exactly where we were on numbers, but I know that everyone was really pleased. Uh, it was very critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a big screen set up for it. Nashville
1: was sold out and loud the whole night. It Does was it great. feel different? Like, do you know when you go out there, you're like, I, I, this is pay-per-view. This, is,
2: yeah, this yeah. is different. Actually, my favorite moment of uh, that night was... Uh, the intro video was playing, mm-hmm. just showing flashbacks of other guys in Ring of Honor and showing the current guys in Ring of Honor and everyone saying, you know, tonight's about being the best in the world. And just feeling the energy from the people when that video ended about how excited they were that Ring of Honor was on pay-per-view. I got so many goosebumps, uh, goosebumps going up and down my spine. It was so awesome. It was one of those, like, yeah, let's do this moments, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. How does... Uh you being such a, a figure in Ring of Honor, how does that affect you in terms of... Because, you know, you're also a, a pretty heavy figure. You've done stuff for Pro Wrestling Guerrilla and, mm-hmm. and, and organizations like that. Like, do you try to exist in a world where each place is a vacuum? Like, as in, what I do in Ring of Honor just is for Ring of Honor, and then if I'm in another organization, it's I'm a different character? Or uh, I used to be that way uh-huh.
2: uh, up until... Um, you know, us being on television now and me being such a strong character that I am in Ring of Honor, Right.
1: I now really try to respect that character and do it everywhere. So do you kind of feel like you're at the point now when if you go to another organization, it's uh, Ring of Honor's Adam Cole You're is getting Ring of Honor's Adam Cole right. everywhere. Right? right, exactly. And it, when did that sort of – mentally – when did you feel like, okay, I, I, Ring of Honor is is my home and, and this character is from Ring of Honor and that's, I,
2: yeah, that's my I, home base? Oddly enough, I think it was uh, when I lost the championship. Like I think I had a moment there huh. where I was like, okay, I'm not the man anymore in this company. Right. I need to do everything that I can to make sure that I stay on top and um, with the integrity of this character, right? I need to have Ring of Honor's Adam Cole everywhere, and I need to just completely dive into it. So it was like there was a weird mental gear change um, after I lost it. Almost more pressure, you know, to stay on top. Yeah, and I guess
1: because when you're holding the title, you physically have the title. You're like, yeah, of course, I'm the dude. I made it. Right, but when you don't have it, I guess that's when that moment clicks in, like, wait, this means more to me than the other stuff. It, exactly. You know, exactly. And, I, and I have to I have to uh, abide by that. So um, what would you say— do you, so, are you glad then, in that perspective, that you had some time, that you have had some time without the title? For sure, I, yeah. I, th- I you know, looking back, uh, it's weird. Like
2: once you have the championship, you realize how bad you wanted to be in that position. And then while you're in that position, obviously the pressure's there, and you're mm-hmm. wanting to have great matches and cut great promos. Um, But then when you lose the championship, again, there's this uh, weird sense of pressure that goes through your head of going, okay, what do I have to do to make sure that I get it back? But I feel like I've grown a lot as a performer since losing the championship because in a weird kind of way, uh, the pressure is not nearly as much on you when you're not champion. So the fans obviously still are very critical of you, but you can be more creative and try different things when you are not the top draw because right. you have this this creative freedom to kind of try new things and see what uh what works and what doesn't work.
1: Because theoretically the fans the fans paid for a ticket to see the champion, which means I have expectations of this person. I paid money to see that. I know what it's supposed to be. Exactly. And if you're not that dude you can kind of surprise them. You can you can sure. give them uh other reasons to come back. Is it difficult for you? And I guess it probably helps working with somebody like like uh Jay Briscoe who's just cool to cheer but is it difficult for you to work as a bad guy when you know that the internet loves you
2: i don't think so um i think fortunately i'm in a position where um it, 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 this has been happening to me a lot lately uh my musical hit and you'll hear uh, some excitement i come out i'll get a cheer mm-hmm. i'll walk down to the ring i do my entrance i get the streamers the music drops down uh, maybe a small Adam Cole chant. The second that bell rings, they hate my guts again. So it's this weird love-hate, like, they love to hate me. Do you, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, and is that, do you think that's just because the fans know this is what our role in this whole puzzle is? Uh potentially I think when you go to some smarter markets like New York City yeah. or Chicago or Toronto but when we go to just our strictly television markets uh-huh. like uh Columbus um you know Virginia and things like that uh, those fans hate my guts. They do. They really really do. Yeah. And
1: so do you and are you sitting there brainstorming on ways to like okay let's say this crowd starts cheering for me tonight I have to figure out a way to get them to hate me again. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely, and so what kind of what kind of tricks are there that you can do, or have you done? You don't 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 spoil anything that of, you're planning on doing. Of in the course, future. Uh, no, but uh, uh, a lot of the cases is, is obviously
2: um, with with what that what I do. Um, I'll bore them in many cases. <laughs> like if like they're Andy if, if they're just completely uh, n- refusing uh-huh. to to not hate me, um, I'll put myself <laughs> in a position where. I, I'll make sure that they love that good guy, right? You know, like uh, whether it be me insulting them, but whether, whether it be me really slowing things yeah. down. We're
1: going armbar heavy tonight, right?
2: right. <laughs> me just sitting in a headlock for two minutes straight and keeping the guy down and just looking and saying I'm not going anywhere, right? Eventually they'll come around. Uh-huh. Eventually they'll get the gist of every, uh, you know everything.
1: And is that a difficult thing at least in the beginning to to realize? Because it's fun for people to like you, right? Is right. it difficult to be like you know I ha- I have to have people not cheering for me. Because I would assume, at least in the beginning, that it must be kind of this thing where I know I'm the bad guy, but people like me. Like, what are you going to do? I'm I'm, I'm great. That that must be something that the appeals, like I would, I would, I would like that.
2: Well, the re- the reason it's more difficult now is when I was Ring of Honor World Champion, it was real easy. I mean, everybody hated me mm-hmm. because uh, you know I had my faction and group with me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my championship matches were ending with interference or disqualifications. Right. And Ring of Honor is not built on that, right. so people could not wait for me to lose that championship, and right. they hated my guts. The problem is now I'm going and having more straight up wrestling matches, and the championship isn't on me. So now they're you know. Oh, Adam Cole's cool. So I have to come up with more creative ways. <laughs> right. And I'm still b- constantly brainstorming about coming up with creative ways to get them uh, to dislike me. No. But at the same time, uh-huh. because our fans are so educated and so smart, if they want to like you, they'll like you. And even if they're booing me, but inside they're like, oh, this guy's awesome. I appreciate what they're doing. Right, you know? right, right.
1: You go, No, I promise you, <laughs> I am not cool. I, I, I have to assure you of this. Um, so so – it must be – what did you think of, uh, of of Vince McMahon? I don't know if you watched the interview that Vince did. McMahon did. When he was talking about – because you fit right into at 25, you would be a millennial. And he said that this current roster – at least – I mean, obviously he was talking about WWE. He doesn't know anything about other locker rooms. But he said the locker room that he has, the younger guys are simply not as hungry. But he said it was generational. Do you – what do you think? What did you think when you heard that? Um – I certainly think that could be the case for
2: some people, mm-hmm. but I think you find that in any generation. Mm-hmm. I, like I don't think it's specific to us per se. I don't think every guy from my generation is lazy. Mm-hmm. I certainly know that I'm not lazy. I work my tail off all the time to be the best that I possibly can be, right. and I know a lot of other guys feel the exact same way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I think it's just a case. Oftentimes, if you look at the history of the WWE... Um, there are only a few top guys really, really on top and really, really drawing money and selling merchandise and being the guys. You know, uh, Vince McMahon's company has always, you know, only had one, two, maybe three, like, real, real main event players and everybody else is kind of dancing around in the mid-card or the undercard. That's the case now. Uh, You know, obviously they desperately need more top guys and more top players, but that will come in time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I see what he's saying, but... To me, the writing has always been on the wall uh, since the '80s. It's it's always been two or three top guys and everyone else just kind of playing around in the bottom.
1: Yeah, and I guess if one top guy has been there for ten years, it kind of makes it. And he's still and he's young and he's still fully I, yeah. capable. I,
2: I think the real problem is is no one's been able to replace John Cena yet. Yeah, if someone had five years ago. I don't think uh, Vince McMahon would have been saying that. I really don't. I don't right. think it's that um, everybody from this generation just doesn't care about wrestling anymore, would rather be on their phones playing around. And don't get me wrong, there are definitely guys like that. Uh-huh. But I don't think that's the case for everybody.
1: Yeah, and I don't think Vince McMahon is probably not in the business of replacing John Cena because it works, so why would he f- try to fix it? Right, right. But right. But, but obviously, I
2: mean, uh, and John has said before he's tired. You know, he would love the idea of someone being able to to go up and do that with him. Uh-huh. Um, I I don't think John's going to stop anytime soon, but I think the thing is, people always like different. They like stuff that's fresh. So mm-hmm. if if you could find somebody who could sell as much mer- uh, merchandise as John Cena, and have the crowds go just as crazy as they do for John Cena for someone new, it's it's automatically better in someone's eyes just because it's new, even
1: if it's you know not better. You're obviously under contract with Ring of Honor, but uh, is that something that you look at like—I mean, it's amazing that you're only—you're 25 years old, so you have a lot of time to sort of figure out that road. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you die on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. Unless Jay Briscoe literally murders you. It's a strong
2: possibility. It could happen.
1: Uh, But theoretically, you have a lot of time— to figure this out do you look at wwe as something you want to do eventually do you look at wwe as something you would want to try sooner than later have you had conversations with them in the past yeah in the past
2: i've talked with uh with wwe i've had tryouts with wwe and uh, uh i've kept in contact with certain people uh within the wwe as well uh but right now um more than ever you know i, I remember you know two or three years ago i was really really focused and even in my head going, man, I, I'd really like to get to WWE someday. And I don't mean that I don't want to go to the WWE, but to be honest, that's totally not on my mind right now. Right, uh, Ring of Honor is on fire, and that's not me blowing smoke. It, it really is. 2014, I think, was the best year for this company that it's ever had. We're back on traditional pay-per-view. We have toys coming out. Uh, constantly new television markets are being added. We have a relationship with the WWE of Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling, who are doing fantastic. Uh, Ring of Honor is on a serious, serious role. And the fact that I get to be a major player in that right now yeah. really excites me. So I'm, I'm very, very focused on that. And I think Ring of
1: Honor is also in a good spot because it offers it's a real alternative. Exactly. Like, like when you're thinking, okay, you know, because yeah, TNA is on the landscape, and of course, you know, TNA's got TV and everything, and they're doing uh, all right, but but they are a lot more similar to WWE. Absolutely. Then Ring, Ring of Honor is a completely separate product, and so it does it does offer an alternative. I think that a lot of times people—and this is probably where you were at like two or three years ago— get sort of wrapped up in this thing of you're conditioned from the time you are a kid that WWE is a place to go, WWE is a place to go. Exactly. And then you realize that at least right now, it's very possible to find success elsewhere, and maybe that's an even better place for you at the moment.
2: Right, especially, too, because for me, I was very fortunate, and from when I first started in wrestling— I generally moved up the ladder pretty quick, like mm-hmm. I, like I was moving to you know top indie to top indie to top indie to ring of honor to going overseas, and I almost got so conditioned in this keep moving forward, keep moving forward okay i 'm in ring of honor, okay, the next step is w w e right, but now that i 'm here
1: uh, again, I realize the uh the potential of what we really have going on here yeah, i think that 's the other thing that happens because that 's what happened to me when I was like in my early twenties is that you sort of figure out this thing where I'm going to be the youngest guy to do this and this and this and, this. <laughs> yes, 100%. But, and, and by the time you're 30 you're all
0: it's a career I'm going to call it right.
1: and then I guess right around now is the time you figure out like wait let me start actually estab- life is a long thing Yeah. let me start establishing the, what's going this on this is you know?
2: no joke I remember thinking like when I was <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this I remember when I was wrestling I was 20 and Randy Orton won the you know WWE world title at 24 and I was like Okay, if I can get into WWE by the time I'm 22, <laughs> right? Maybe Monday Night Raw by 23, they'll love me, right? Maybe if I could at least match his record and win the world title by 24, like that's how crazy my thought process was. And I think and it's all about doing everything, like you said, like the youngest, youngest. possible, because that somehow makes
1: it better. And I think missing those milestones is like the greatest thing a person can do. Absolutely, is you realize it means nothing. Yep, it and means like it doesn't matter. You grow so much more as
2: a performer, and you mature so much more as a man. Yeah. And, and realize like hey everyone has their own journey and it's okay and let's enjoy it and mm-hmm. let's work hard and let's uh you know support the team that we're under now and just have that vision and have that mindset because i like i said i've said this a million times before i am uh 100 team roh and 100 percent pro
1: roh well yeah and like you said that you all you you look at yourself as an roh performer first and uh, when you're visiting other places three years ago were you even in that mindset to be do you think you could have handled what you're doing now at 21 22 i don't know uh kind
2: of unless i was thrown into it because for me uh again i i didn't feel ready for it when i was thrown into it maybe like two years ago right um but you never know until you try. Like, I think we talked about this the last time. Uh-huh. But the best thing is stepping out of your comfort zone. Because when you're forced to do that and then you do stuff enough, then eventually you get good at it. Yeah. So uh, to be able to look back and say, would I have been able to do it? I Probably, maybe not as good, but but I would have done it. Because um, you
1: leave yourself no option but to succeed. I, I have to do it. and then I, I, I can't it. say no. I can't say no. So did you take to pro wrestling like a fish to water? Were you just naturally, like, did you just instinctually get it like were you really good at it from because i mean to be 25 and already have a ring of honor title reign under your belt and 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 you know still main eventing pay-per-views and be one of the top you know names on the american independent circuit is it's a pretty big deal most people haven't figured that out by 25 uh i think physically
2: it took me a little longer like uh, especially some of the guys that i was with like I wasn't nearly as athletic as some of the other guys, because uh, I trained at uh, the Combat Zone Wrestling Academy, mm-hmm. and a lot of those guys can do a lot of flips and a lot of crazy dives on the outside, and that was always really, really hard and really uncomfortable for me. But the one thing that I felt that I had was like a better understanding of um, how to put matches together and what to do in certain situations and how to show fire and show life and just kind of get those people behind me if I was a good guy or get them to hate my guts if I was a bad guy. That That... To me, clicked pretty early. So, and to me, that's uh, you know just as important as the physical stuff. You said
1: uh, that the Ring of Honor locker room is like a real, is actually a a positive place. Is that right? Very positive. So people are actually supporting each other. Yeah. Is that a surprise to you? Because I, I find that for maybe it's because I don't know why, but I find that difficult to believe. Just because of it is sort of the top in terms of the independence, and it's full of young guys that I would imagine all want to be. The top and Ring of Honor is a place where there's so much turnover mm-hmm. that guys can get to the top. It seems like that would be an ultra competitive place to be. My mother said the exact same thing. She she goes, it blows my mind. Me and your mother have the same mentality. Yeah, pro wrestling. you do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just like uh, a
1: middle aged woman when it comes to this.
2: She goes, uh, I, I don't understand how more guys aren't at each other's throats. It just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Uh, but the answer is very simple. The reason that everyone's not at each other's throats is everyone is thinking about Ring of Honor. Huh. We, we literally are so uh, consumed with this idea of, I hate saying this phrase, but being like the little engine that could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when pay-per-view got added, we were like, yes, we deserve this. We're going to kill it. When toys got added, we we're like, awesome, this is another step forward. If a video game happened, that'd be amazing. We are so all about making this team grow and making it better. And... If we want the team to get better,
1: the team has to get along, right, so who instills that like who 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 puts this thought process into all your minds? I think it's kind of
2: I mean some of the veterans who have been there for a while, obviously lead by example. I'm certainly a guy that leads by example um, there's really never a moment where someone sits down and says, "Hey, guys, listen, it needs to be all about the company." It's when you walk into that locker room, you realize that you're at some place very, very special mm-hmm. and uh, very, very sacred. And you're happy to be there and you don't want to leave. So you know the routine. You know you want uh, you know the Ring of Honor card to be the best that it possibly can be. It's kind of just something that you feel
1: the second you get in there. And it's sort of like, okay, the, if I'm the selfish guy here who's out for me— I'm the only one working that way and it's not gonna last.
2: Yep, you're weeded out very, very quickly.
1: Are you are are people called out on it? Like hey, dude. for being selfish,
2: one hundred percent.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, Matt Hardy is, is is Matt Hardy still around? Unfortunately, no, no, he's not around anymore. He spent some time there though. He did. Is is working with a guy like Matt Hardy Invaluable. And does it sort of teach you how rare a locker room atmosphere like that is? Like is he does he pull you aside and be like, Look, dude, this what's happening here? this isn't normal like this is <laughs> I cherish this uh, you have. he didn't mention that specifically
2: uh-huh. but he fit right in so well with our locker room uh-huh. I, I mean matt was a guy that was uh so humble right out of the gate and was so helpful and uh just a tremendous asset to our team i mean those fans could not wait to chew him up and uh, spit him
1: out when he came out to that ring he's good yeah uh, he did he, he added some some heel uh uh, uh mystique or he whatever did. it is he did heal pixie dust to your, <laughs> to your to your whole thing yeah
2: yeah he he was really vital i think to uh you know me getting some serious heat towards uh the end of my championship run i yeah. i think that was really crucial having matt hardy there
1: and what, what what do you think you was the most invaluable about just working with him for you uh, yeah i i think to me it was that
2: understanding of cuz sometimes as an independent wrestler you get because when you work for companies uh, that aren't Ring of Honor, when you first start out, yeah, uh, you know you'll be booked as a heel, but the promoter will say, you know, go out there and have a killer match. So you'll kind of get consumed with this idea of going, okay, I want the people to chant my name, or I want them to really like me and give me a standing ovation, even though I'm supposed to be the bad guy, right? Um, that's not the way I wanted to be Ring of Honor World Champion. And Matt Hardy was there with me the entire step along the way saying, you're doing the right thing. These people hate you. Every single guy that you're wrestling, they want this guy to beat you for the title. This is exactly what you need to be doing. And And I think, to me, it reinforced in my head that I was doing the right thing, having him there to tell me that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I could imagine that because, because yeah, when everybody is, cause even though they're there for ring of honor, mm-hmm. at the same time, everybody's got to be paying attention to themselves and knowing that, that independent contractors are independent contractors sure. and you're in business for yourself at the end of the day. And that, yeah, maybe just having simple things like people booing you is not, it's like, is this the right kind of booing? Is this, Good for business or bad for business, right?
2: It? Yeah, some guys, you know, not so much in Ring of Honor, but some guys on independent shows. Again, they'll get uh, self-conscious with being uh, booed, and then they'll want to become cool heels, which really just translates to being a babyface, right? Um, you know, if, you, <laughs> if people love you, they love you. Right. Um, so they want to
1: be a babyface, but they don't want to be cheesy, so right, like, no, right.
2: I'm a heel. But <laughs> yeah, a heel man, you just have to be really, really unselfish. Yeah, you have to really focus on doing your job that way. So, and, and
1: Matt was great about that. Do you find it difficult with with so much content that's out there because now you've got wrestling fans that can literally see the history of pro wrestling whenever they want. So they've they quite literally have seen it all. Like they they know if you're if you're rehashing something that's been done, it's available. It's either on YouTube or it's on the network or it's it's somewhere. It's on a DVD. They, everybody's seen everything now. Is it more difficult to surprise people now? I think so, but I
2: think. At the same time, the reason that pro wrestling still works is um, not because the stories per se have changed, but the characters have changed. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we can't. There's only so many. Um, there's only so many matches and angles and stipulations that you can put onto a match to where it feels original or it feels different and new. But what makes it feel different and new, again, is the players who are involved. Right. You know, if John Cena versus Randy Orton happens for six months and they do the exact same story that they do with CM Punk and Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan... Right. Uh, it could be the same kind of scenario, but it will feel very different to the audience. Right. Because everyone wrestles a little bit different. Everyone has a little bit of a different promo style. So that's why pro wrestling will live forever, because people love that story. They love the good versus evil story. I guess it is. It's the same story from the beginning. It really is. It's, it's just played out by different it's people. It's constant good versus evil with little, you know, uh, differences in there, too.
1: As somebody who's obviously a big wrestling fan, is it difficult for you to to be a unique personality? I would imagine that, at least in the beginning. Like, I know... If I was a pro wrestler, I would, in the beginning, want to just act like the pro wrestlers I grew up watching. Like, I would imagine for you, it would be difficult to be like, okay, I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to look like a million bucks. I'm going to have my hair slicked back. I'm going to wear a suit. But I'm not Ric Flair. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, let me figure out what the difference is here. Is it difficult for you to not kind of mimic the people that you grew up watching? Uh, When I first started, I definitely had a big
2: problem with uh, playing it safe, and by playing it safe, I was extremely generic. Right. Like, like, doing what I did in wrestling school generic, you know? Like, no emotion, really. Like, uh-huh. just, uh, it was it was awful. But then it, it kind of, you come into your own, and you just, once you become more comfortable, you try different things. Right. And you'll take a little bit from Ric Flair or Nick Bockwinkle or Randy uh-huh. Orton or Shawn Michaels or whoever, and uh, you mix it and make it your own into Adam Cole, you
1: know? But at some point, you must realize that, like, when you're doing something as yourself, that you thought of and it works, you must have this aha moment. Like it is way funner to get over being me than somebody than me pretending to be somebody else. Of
2: course, like for me, uh, you know, Adam Cole, baby, is, yeah. the, is the biggest thing in the world. Like I love coming out and seeing people with their arms up like that, and <laughs> me doing it and people yelling it too. Like that's uh, that's pretty cool. I put I, I put it on enough t-shirts by now, so yeah. I'm hoping it would eventually
1: catch on. Yeah, I have a catchphrase. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? When people see me in the street and say what's the haps I'm like yeah right, it's working we're on to something well listen um, everybody uh, if you want to find out if Ring of Honor TV is on in your area of course you go to rohwrestling.com correct um, good luck at the pay-per-view thank you thank um, you and I, I hope that you live
2: through it and you can come back and, <laughs> and talk again I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a deal with you because yes. you know it was a pleasure to be on here for a second time but uh-huh. uh, the next time we talk yeah I'll let you hold the Ring of Honor
1: World Championship because I'm certainly going to be champion. That's that that implication is that you'll have the title. Well, that's the power of positive thinking. I've read the secret, and it sounds like you're on the right track. Yep, I know the secret. (laughs) Yes, you do. Well, congratulations on all the success. Uh, Good luck with everything, and thanks for hanging, man. Yep, Thank you.
0: Here is Sam Roberts.
1: I just have such high expectations for Adam Cole. As long as you stay off the drugs, my friend. Stay off the drugs. And you're going to be big. You're going to be a big, big star. Just stay off the smack. And you'll be just fine. By the way, that is, of course, the voice of the one and only Howard Finkel. Doing the voice work for Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. If you like the production itself. Not the voice work. The voice work you got to get from Howard Finkel. And if you're not Sam Roberts, good luck to you. But if you want some cool production for your podcast. Troy Kwan is the guy who created the production. I sent him the Howard Finkel voice tracks. And uh, he created – he made him into something even cooler, uh, Troy Kwan on Twitter and Facebook, and I think TroyKwan.com. He does great podcast production uh, for all your podcasting needs if you need a slick intro or something like that. Now, as I said, I have very high expectations for the future of Adam Cole. I think it's only going to be a good, good thing for him. I think he's going to come back from this injury as long as he stays healthy. He doesn't pick up any addictions and he doesn't get seriously injured doing anything. Uh, I think he's got a very long career ahead of him. And I absolutely undeniably think he's going to be a big-time player in the WWE. And that's a good thing because he's not 6'7". And I think he can still make it in WWE. That, that, that's, that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. Speaking of making it in the WWE, there's so much going on. I want to talk about uh, the podcast Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H did. I want to talk about uh, uh, Fastlane. I want to talk about where we're headed towards WrestleMania, the main event. I want to touch more, more on Roman Reigns. As much Roman Reigns conversation as there has been on this podcast, I think there needs to be a little more. But the only place to do it is inside of the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Woo! I'm feeling the energy on this one. Even Kanye West couldn't tell me I'm not the best. Now, state of wrestling time. First and foremost, we didn't get to talk. We talked about it a little bit with Corey Graves on the show. But I didn't really get to dive into the Triple H Stone Cold Steve Austin interview. Um, in terms of Stone Cold's podcast, first of all, I think Stone Cold Steve Austin does a hell of a job on his podcast. I think, and this topic has come up here and there, I think that the idea of wrestlers like Stone Cold Steve Austin, like J.R., like Chris Jericho, like Taz, all these guys hosting their own podcasts uh, is not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. I think they should be hosting podcasts because I think that hearing a wrestler talk to another wrestler about wrestling provides an insight that a fan can simply not relate to. To share a locker room with somebody and then to talk to them about the profession that you guys uh, partook in together is something... You can't get that perspective on that profession without having lived through it now, that said, being a fan, being a broadcaster, I offer a perspective that no wrestler could come to the table with i the the watching. Through the eyes of a fan, watching through a television set, uh, watching the storylines unfold as they're meant to unfold for the audience, not as they're written backstage, uh, creates an entirely new perspective on things. So I think that there's a, a huge value to both sides of the fence. However, I feel like when I say it like that, because I'm trying to please both sides, I'm giving a very Triple H answer, which I love The fact—I love how good Triple H is at interviews. That dude, you can throw any question you want at him. And Triple H knows exactly how to give just enough so that he gives you something newsworthy. Whether it's uh, China probably shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because of her history and what happens when you Google her. Whether it's— you know, Bruno San Martino and the Ultimate Warrior being difficult, whether it's raw should be 2 hours, uh whether it's whatever it is, he gives you something newsworthy, but he answers exactly what he wants to answer. If he does not want to give you a direct answer on a question, he's not going to do it. But it will give you something. You know what I mean? He'll give you a little taste and say, "Okay, you got a little something" and he'll he'll kind of convince you not only as the interviewer, but as the person watching the interview like, "Oh, okay, He'll suck you into something that's interesting enough that he can get away with not giving you a full answer to the question, which I think is brilliant. And I actually really – I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And you know, I've talked to Triple H many times. I've, I've known him through the, our media relationship for many years now. Close to ten years I've probably known this guy. I've interviewed him many times, and I've only ever had great interviews with him he's funny, he's personable, he doesn't take himself too seriously, and he will give you something newsworthy. And that's all you can ask of a guy. You know, he's not trying to get heat with people, he's not trying to be salacious, he's not trying to write headlines for you, but he, he'll get he knows he'll give you something you need without upsetting his business, which I think is just it's the perfect way to do things cuz you either find somebody who Is whether he's uh, uh, bitter or upset or just wants attention and will just do an interview that kind of blows up his own career, you know, it's good for the interviewer. It's it's entertaining for the audience, but it's not good for him. In no circumstance is a Burn Your Bridges interview going to be helpful to the person who's doing the – who's the subject of the interview. It's never going to be helpful. Uh, But at the same time, I've interviewed lots of people that are just in there to – uh, promote whatever it is they're pr- to promote, to toe the company line, and to say whatever it is that they want out there. And they're really not giving you anything. And that doesn't help anybody either. It doesn't ingratiate the interview subject with the audience. It, it does nothing. And it doesn't make the audience want to uh, take part in whatever the subject is promoting. So I thought the fact that Triple H uh, kept the interview on his terms without. You know, taking anything away from Steve Austin and without uh, making it so it wasn't worth watching, keeping it entertaining, keeping it interesting, and keeping it newsworthy is, uh, is, a, is a pat on the back to Triple H. Uh, I, to me, the most interesting thing was not anything that we mentioned, was not the difficulties he faced trying to get people in the Hall of Fame, was not the China thing, was not even Raw should be moved to two hours, which I thought was very interesting. The most interesting part that I found— was go back and watch that interview and watch it from beginning to end and realize, add up all the questions, really, like take every answer into account and realize that this is a guy who, without directly saying it, is painting a picture of, I know you like NXT. If you're watching WWE Network, if you're listening to podcasts, if you're an internet wrestling fan, you like NXT, You can't say you don't like NXT and still go on the internet and enjoy wrestling. It doesn't happen. Triple H takes credit for NXT. He gives credit to all the people working in NXT. He says that he allows the superstars in NXT to come up with their own storylines and promos and gimmicks and matches and all this stuff. But he takes credit for the creative direction of NXT. When it comes to some of what takes place in WWE, where more people have criticisms, Triple H is very quick to say, look, in the WWE, no matter what you hear, no matter what you read, there's still one guy calling the shots. And Triple H is painting a picture of an organization where, yes, he appears to be, at least in terms of creative, next in line to take over the show, to take over the business. But... He paints a picture of a guy who is in charge of NXT, but who follows orders when it comes to Raw and SmackDown and WWE pay-per-views. He paints a picture of a WWE that is still fully run by Vince McMahon, that is still run by one guy making all creative decisions, and that one guy is the same guy that's been doing it since Madison Square Garden, 1985, WrestleMania 1, Vince McMahon. And take that for what it is. Is he past his prime? I don't know. Is he in a rough spot right now? You could argue that. But that's what I found interesting. That without a doubt, if you listen to what Triple H was saying, he was painting a picture of an organization where Vince McMahon is still fully in charge of that thing. And for a guy Vince McMahon's age to still be the active guy who's fully in charge of the organization is... uh, It's incredible. It's incredible. Is he making good decisions? Is he making bad decisions? That's not what I asked. What I'm asking is, is it or is it not incredible that a guy that age is running a company that size and still in charge of everything? It's a major, major accomplishment. And regardless of what you think week to week in terms of Monday Night Raw, Vince McMahon uh, to me is Steve Jobs' level genius, Vince McMahon took an industry that was really not a national industry, certainly not a global industry, certainly not mainstream. It was a niche market, you know, get one over on the rubes, Carniact, and Vince McMahon turned it into global mainstream entertainment, and he made it a cultural force on more than one occasion. Nobody else can do that, and I don't think anybody else ever will be able to do that. I don't think anybody else will a- ever be able to have the amount of successful runs that Vince McMahon did with this company. Now, will Vince McMahon have another run with the company as successful as the '80s Rock and Wrestling era or the Attitude era? Pro- I don't see it happening. You know, I mean, uh, look. WWE is not as successful financially right now, I don't think, as as the Attitude Era. Certainly not creatively. But it is far and away better than what was on television directly before the Attitude Era. It's not like it's fallen back that far, okay? You put on WWE TV, go to the WWE Network and watch Raw from like 93 to 96, early 96, You can't tell me that that TV is better than what's on TV now. So the fact that he still is not the worst that he's ever been, and he's as old as he is, I think, you know, is a pretty major accomplishment on the part of Vince McMahon. Now let's talk about what's happening right now on WWE TV. First of all, I think the most compelling storyline and direction that everything is headed in is uh, John Cena and Rusev. Rusev has been built... For months and months and months. He's beaten a series of dudes uh, and, and, and impressively. He's done two runs with Jack Swagger and beaten him both times. Uh, uh, big show. I mean, everybody. Mark Henry. Rusev has dominated everybody. He's got the U.S. title now. And at the Fastlane pay-per-view, John Cena. You could call him the Hulk Hogan of the modern era goes one-on-one with Rusev, you could call the Iron Sheik (laughs) of the modern era. Um, I'm surprised that this match is taking place at Fastlane. You know, I say Hulk Hogan of the modern era, Iron Sheik of the modern era. I feel like this is a match that could be built up that way. Uh, I feel like this is a match where you've got somebody. Now, it is a little bit difficult to come off of Brock Lesnar, who's like, you know, Rusev times a thousand. But still having this sort of anti-American, international monster, Rusev Crush, taking on, you know, all-American Fruity Pebbles, never say die, hustle loyalty, respect John Cena, is, is the perfect sort of Vince McMahon match. You know what I mean? It's the perfect... It, it, it's almost a throwback, and I think that's why people are kind of into it. It is. It's not a Shades of Grey match. It is the... The baby-faced, shiny, good guy versus the dirty, grimy heel. Good versus evil. Superhero versus supervillain. It's everything that you would see in a living, breathing comic book. Um, But I would think that the first time that there would be some equity in these two guys meeting for the first time. And that's why I thought uh, WrestleMania would be the first time that they met. and, uh, And that way we would have time for a build. Uh, I feel like there hasn't been a huge build towards John Cena versus Rusev um, in terms of time. You know, they definitely have—the last couple episodes of Raw, they've spent some time saying, you know, here's why this is important. But just in terms of developing the idea that these two don't like each other, there hasn't been a huge amount of time invested in it. So I'm a little surprised. Um, I hope that Rusev wins— against John Cena at Fastlane because I would really like to see a match go on to WrestleMania. Even if it's by disqualification or he gets himself counted out, I don't know. I don't think that this match can end clean, especially with John Cena as the winner because I think that Rusev is getting that Bray Wyatt spot. Bray Wyatt had a spot last year at WrestleMania where he went one-on-one with John Cena. And, you know, there are people who think that John Cena going over Bray Wyatt as cleanly as he did at WrestleMania was bad for Bray Wyatt. I couldn't disagree more. I think the fact that Bray Wyatt was in a match with John Cena at WrestleMania at that stage in his career, his first, Bray's first WrestleMania, hasn't been in the company for a year, and he's already wrestling John Cena at the biggest show of the year, I, there's no way you can convince me that he looked bad after that match. That that match made Bray look worse. No possible way you can convince me of that. And I think that's the spot that Rusev is in right now. Now there has to be a plan. I would think that I would think John Cena should beat Rusev. You know, he's John Cena, right? I would just hope that there is a big plan for Rusev coming off of WrestleMania because it's important to catch this wave of momentum. Okay. Maybe you lost, but you were just in the match with John Cena at WrestleMania. Let's catch this wave. Speaking of waves of momentum, and we're running out of time because I could talk about all this stuff. I could spend 40 minutes on, on, on each, each of these topics, but the the topic that's really, I think, on everybody's mind right now, the, the hot topic for wrestling fans, and it sucks for Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, Pro Wrestling Syndicate, or TNA fans, but the topic that's on everybody's mind right now is uh, the main event for WrestleMania. Now, Fast lane coming up. Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns with the winner getting that WrestleMania title shot. First and foremost, there are some up in arms that this cheapens the Royal Rumble victory, that the Royal Rumble victor is supposed to get that title shot, no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, I don't think this cheapens it. It's not the first time by a long shot. I mean, what about the Fatal 4 match? It was Bret Hart and Sid and Undertaker. There have been lots of different versions of how are we getting to WrestleMania from the Royal Rumble. You remember, I think it was uh, 2001 at Madison Square Garden, where technically— the Rock won, but his feet technically touched before the big show. But we ignored that. But but you know, there, there's all kinds of different ways of getting to WrestleMania from the Royal Rumble. This is a living, breathing, moving television show. It's not something so steeped in tradition that you can't break it. You know what I mean? That's what I mean about taking this stuff way too seriously. Like just 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 ride the wave. Let's see where it's going. There are some dirt sheets, I think the Wrestling Observer posted it, that, uh, that there may be Vince McMahon's new plan, and as we heard from Triple H's podcast, Vince is the one calling the shots, and that Vince McMahon's new plan may be inserting Daniel Bryan into the main event at WrestleMania, turning Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar into a triple threat match by adding Daniel Bryan. So it would be Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Bryan. Um... My personal opinion is, if that were to happen, that would be a mistake. We still have a month and a half before WrestleMania. I think the WWE should be focused on one thing, getting Roman Reigns over. Now, since Royal Rumble, I think the crowd reactions for Roman have been better. They couldn't be worse. There's no way that a crowd reaction is going to get worse than the Philly reaction was. But I think the crowd reactions for Roman have been better. I think uh, the promos have been better, a lot less cheese, a lot more direct. Um, I think Roman has made strides since winning the Royal Rumble. I think the only thing you can possibly do to maintain any integrity in your product is to have Roman Reigns defeat Daniel Bryan clean, and have Daniel Bryan raise Roman Reigns' hand and say, this is the guy that won that match fair and square. I think you can still get Roman Reigns over. I think there are talented people working for WWE. That's a very controversial thing to say when it comes to the internet. But there are talented people who work for the WWE. And there are people who can... Get Roman Reigns over from now until WrestleMania. And you can move Brock Lesnar into more of a heel position. You can bring up the fact that Brock Lesnar doesn't even like wrestling. You can bring up the fact that uh, Brock Lesnar isn't on TV half the time. You can bring up that the WWE champion has defended the title like three times in the last six months. Or more. He's defended against all of two people since winning the title at SummerSlam. You know, you you can bring this stuff up. That there is a reason for the WWE Universe not to like Brock Lesnar. And you can really slam in the fact that, look, Roman Reigns is a guy that we were cheering before he was injured. Roman Reigns is a guy that we were cheering when he was a member of the Shield. Roman Reigns is born and bred WWE. He's been there. He does the autograph signings. He does the interviews. He does, he's on every show. This is a guy who's supporting. This is our home team guy. You can get Roman Reigns over before WrestleMania. There is no doubt in my mind. Is everybody going to love this guy? No, never. But you can get Roman Reigns over. Even if all you have to do is remind the audience that, hey, this is Roman Reigns. He's not John Cena. Anything you have to do, but you can get that guy over by WrestleMania. And at WrestleMania, Roman Reigns should beat Brock Lesnar. I'm okay with this being Brock Lesnar's last match in WWE. He's great to see. He's fun to watch. WWE doesn't need him right now. I've talked about that before in the podcast. WWE does not need the part-timers right now. Let's get a WrestleMania match going between Triple H and Sting. That's great. That's an attraction match. But in terms of the part-timers that are active roster members, WWE doesn't need them. WWE does not need Brock Lesnar now like they did a few years ago. They don't. Because in my mind, you get Roman Reigns over enough that you can give him the world title at WrestleMania. And then what do I do? I remember That WrestleMania is a night for mainstream. And Monday Night Raw, the night after WrestleMania, that's the night for pro wrestling fans. That's the night for the people who listen to this podcast every week. Because you know what I would do? If I'm Sam Roberts, head booker for WWE, if Vince says, you know what, Sam, I'm tired of making every decision, why don't you make one or two for me? I'd say, okay, Vince, I'm going to bust my ass to get Roman Reigns over by WrestleMania. And he's going to have at least some of that stadium cheering for him in San Jose. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have Seth Rollins cash in his money in the bank the night after WrestleMania. And I'm going to have Seth Rollins win the WWE championship, world championship, on Raw the night after WrestleMania with Paul Heyman in his corner. And he's going to say that he could not get it done with the authority backing him, but he's now got Paul Heyman backing him. I don't want to play fantasy booker, but I'm telling you, there are alternatives. And I think if Daniel Bryan is in the main event for WrestleMania, then you are telling fans, if you show up to events and hijack the show, we will follow your lead. There is a big difference between giving in to fans hijacking the show and giving fans what they truly want. Fans want something fresh. Fans want something different. But the audience needs to trust that long-term, WWE knows what they're doing. And if two WrestleManias in a row, WWE is being so obvious that they don't have a long-term plan, that they're giving in to the whim of which way the crowd goes, then we have a problem. If two re- It worked last year. If this year you put Daniel Bryan in the main event of WrestleMania, then you are telling the fans, we do not have a long-term plan for this, and we are not to be trusted. That's, I mean, that's how I feel right now. That could change. But today, as I talk to you, the audience of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, that's how I feel. You have no choice but to prove that you have what it takes to put on an entertaining wrestling show, and by that I mean write a compelling story. And you need to write a story that's so compelling that you change the minds of the people. You change the minds of the people who listen to this podcast. Do you think Roman Reigns showed up here to turn heel? You change all those minds, and you prove to people that it would be cool to see Roman Reigns defeat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania because one year ago, We all thought it would be cool to see Roman Reigns beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. One year ago, we thought that would be cool. And I think it's very possible to get the audience feeling that way again. That's what the WWE needs to do. To prove to us that there is a reason that they are there and we are in the audience being entertained by what they put on. You know, I work in radio. I work for a radio show with a lot of fans who think they know what we should do, who think they know why it is that we do what we do, and very often they're wrong because of long-term ideas. Because hang on, just bear with us for a second and wait until you see where this is going. This needs to be WWE's moment to say, hey, take a look at where this is going. I know you didn't trust us at first, but have we won your trust back? Give us, as fans... A reason to give you the benefit of a doubt. Because the reason that the fans booed Roman Reigns out of the building this year is because last year they did the same thing to Batista and the main event was changed. So if that's the precedent that's being set, then I'm going to the Royal Rumble every year to pick the winner. And next year, it's going to be Duke the Dumpster Drossi. I'm going to organize the entire audience to cheer for Duke the Dumpster Drossi. And he's going to WrestleMania. And I'm going to go arena to arena. And I'm going to start a viral campaign, and I'm going to make sure that Duke the Dumpster Drossy is in that main event. Or give me a reason to say, you know what? That's not what I wanted, but let me see where this is going because I trust them because I remember what they did last time. Give me that reason again, WWE. Give me a reason to believe. Thank you for listening to this here podcast. Remember, pick up a T-shirt for yourself. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. And you can get a Not Sam t-shirt. You can get a What's the Haps t-shirt. You can get a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt. Show up to WrestleMania in a Sam Roberts t-shirt. I'll be there. If I see you, I'll give you a, a high five. How do you like that? A big high five from the Samster if you're wearing a Sam Roberts t-shirt. So that's what I have to offer you. Uh, in the meantime, follow on Twitter and YouTube and Instagram. Uh, and go to NotSam.com for updates on everything. I will see you here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast next week when I have a very special guest. Let's just say uh, I have to go read about Jesus now. I'll talk to you later. Uh, goodbye.
0: Thanks for, listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week